Hollywood's changing release windows, YouTube's advertising dominance, Amazon's ascendance, CTV advertisers' growth, and more. We discuss the top 10 stories of 2021 in streaming video. Listen on. And welcome to Inside the Stream, our last edition of 2021. That was Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media there at the beginning, and I am Will Richmond from Video News. Hey, Colin, how's everything? Getting ready to wrap for the holidays? I certainly am, Will, and uh, I don't know when I don't know when you're listening to this. If you're our listener, whether you're listening before the holidays or between the holidays, between Christmas and New Year, or or just after, we're recording today, which is just before the beginning. And uh, boy, we've got a bunch of stuff to get through today, Will, haven't we? Uh, we're going to pick our top ten stories. Uh, but before we do that, we've got a couple of honorable mentions, right? Yeah, we're going to go through our top 10 for 2021 and a couple that didn't quite make the top 10, but which we're very much keeping our eye on. One is the advent of NFTs or non-fungible tokens in the media business. And we've seen those start to ramp up in uh, really the last, I think, six months or so, four to six months. We've seen Fox start to pursue NFTs. They're going to release next year. Viacom CBS is going to release NFTs in uh, early next year. And I have a hunch that we're going to see others do this as well. I personally think that NFTs in the media industry make a ton of sense. They're essentially digital collectibles. And as long as there's a rights holder who is incented to keep a finite supply on the number of NFTs that it's issued, that it issues, then just like every other collectible in history, there's going to be value there. The only difference here is that it's in a digital format. So um, it's all, they're also, NFTs are also, of course, helped by the explosion in crypto. And I think it's still very early days, but very optimistic about the opportunity for media companies here. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's a real market, Will, when you get your first lawsuit. And we have a big one, which is Quentin Tarantino wants to sell NFTs based on the Pulp Fiction script. And Miramax is going, wait a minute, we own that script. So, you know, you know, it's real, right? Um, but anyway, my, my honorable mention is gambling as a revenue stream, particularly for pay TV operators. Fubo TV has launched its first sports book and is really banking on, I think, gambling helping to boost revenues. Of course, uh, we'll, we'll possibly get to pay TV in a minute, uh, traditional pay TV in a minute here. But um, uh, it's certainly a way of boosting revenues uh, in a very, very difficult market. And so well, I think that's going to be a big story this, this year. And of course, Disney has said that they're jumping in with ESPN uh, in, in that business as well. So I've got a feeling that we'll be talking a lot about gambling in 2022, Will. I think that's right. And certainly Disney talking about getting in there with ESPN is a sure sign that the industry is going to embrace it. I think it is. But anyway, let's get to our top 10. You're going to t- you're going to kick us off with number 10. Yeah. And then we're going to alternate. So number 10 is the Discovery Warner Media AT&T deal. It, it would probably be considered number one by just the sheer dollar size of this deal. Uh, but there are so many other things that we're going to get to in the next nine. But 
It was announced back in May, AT&T obviously reversing course in a big way on pay TV after the acquisitions of both Time Warner and DirecTV, which of course is also being spun off. And it's a big opportunity for Discovery in the sense of beefing up its uh, content capabilities for direct-to-consumer. And just like we've seen Disney aggressively bundle Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus, no doubt we're going to see Discovery bundling Discovery Plus with HBO Max. And we're also going to see the launch of um, rollout of CNN Plus in the new year. And so lots of different bundling opportunities there. Clearly, the focus of the deal is on streaming and direct consumer. And no surprise, obviously, given what's been happening in cord cutting and the overall pay TV industry, which we'll certainly get to in just a couple of minutes. But clearly a big realignment of assets in the traditional media business. Yeah. And I think, boy, I think David Zaslav, Discovery CEO, is going to do a far better job of managing WarnerMedia and HBO Max than AT&T has, Will. So I think this totally makes sense from that perspective. So really looking forward to seeing what happens uh, in in the new year. Uh, Of course, the deal has been challenged and they're looking at it, but I don't think that challenge will probably amount to much and they will come together sometime in the first half. Yeah, I think they already got, they just got Euro uh, approval on it, didn't they, Carl? It's just Um, in the US now. I think you could be right there. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's go on to number nine. Yeah, I want to talk about the vibrancy of the SVOD model. I think a lot of people were expecting SVOD to actually hit a big bump in the road in 2021 because, of course, it picked up so many subscribers during lockdown in 2020. Um, and I think it's fair to say that it really hasn't. Even in even in advanced markets like the US, it continues to see modest growth, I think. But the really interesting thing is it's not that penetration is interesting, increasing greatly. Penetration sits at about 80%. I think uh, Bruce Leishman, our friend Bruce Leishman, says that 78% of US homes have one of the top three services these days, which is pretty much the same as last year. But really, people are stacking more services on. Uh, Bruce says that um, the mean number of SMOD services per household is about 3.1 in 2021, which is 0.2 higher than in 2020. So people are adding more services. And per analysis, says the average SVOD home has about four services now. That's right about in line with uh, Bruce's number. Uh, So uh, we're seeing meaningful growth, I think, uh, in most services. And that's the big surprise, Will. And I think uh, we're, you know, we're continuing to see progress in that model. And you only have to look at the gauge from Nielsen uh, to see that streaming continues to increase its overall share of our TV viewing. And the interesting thing there is the other category, the, they, they, um, Nielsen tracks the top services, how much time we spend with the top services. And it's the other category that is growing the most. I think it's up to 9% of our ta- of our TV time now from 8% earlier in the year. So uh, good growth there too. So anyway, there you go. I think uh, the vibrancy of the SVOB model is definitely worth a position at number nine. Well, and I think adding to the vibrancy of the SVOD model is the continuing increase in content spending investments. 
obviously led by Netflix, the clear number one in terms of spending on SVOD originals. But Disney has committed to increase its spending. Viacom CBS increased its spending. Um, I think there's a real arms race going on among SVOD providers. And that's actually even spilling over into uh, ad-supported uh, providers. We'll get to them in a minute. But, um, you know, it all shows a market that is very healthy, although certainly starting to mature, as you pointed out, um, but lots of strength going forward. I think so, Will, and I think we're going to continue to see people stack those services in 2022. Yeah. But anyway, what's uh, what's number eight on our list? Yeah, so continuing on the list, number eight, uh, sort of the other end of the spectrum from paid SVOD, I, I think has been the emergence and the impact of free short-form video, primarily from social platforms in the past year, really, I think, going all back into COVID as well. And importantly, I think how these um, services now intersect with the commerce model as well. So I'm thinking specifically of how YouTube has aggressively pursued YouTube uh, shorts and the explosive growth of TikTok. And there are actually a number of different Chinese services and other international services that have grown significantly. Pinterest has also announced uh, Pinterest TV. It's going to be aggressively pursuing it. Hired away a, a VP of content from YouTube to be its new chief content officer. And I think there's really a kind of a generational shift or generational change at work here. I think younger generations very much look at spending time on these social platforms with short form video as a bona fide substitute for sitting down and watching a 30-minute TV show that they may have traditionally watched or even a movie, um, stringing together multiple videos, the infinite scroll kind of aspect of some of these services. I think YouTube is very much going to be blending shorts with its regular service. And um, the other piece of this, I think, is that a lot of these services and more going forward are supported by some form of commerce, some ad that is action-oriented. We'll talk more about YouTube at the end, but uh, an ad that is action-oriented, getting the user to buy something. And increasingly, I think short-form video is sort of the tip of the spear, tip of the spear <laughs> in where um, advertising in video is going as more of an action-oriented, lower-funnel type of medium. Yep, and that I think will explains Amazon's interest in TikTok and why it put it on Fire TV. I think in the middle of the year it was proudly well a little bit later in the year actually it was proudly trumpeting that it was the exclusive home for TikTok on CTV and I think both of us were scratching our heads a little bit, but I think yeah. maybe maybe that it was the commerce commerce piece that you you called out just then that really attracted it. Yeah, that didn't that exclusivity didn't last long. Also, Colin and I think I don't know that it was that in the end that big of a deal. But no. um, but yeah, the commerce piece is is very much important. So why don't you go on to number seven? Yeah, number seven is cord cutting and the fact the traditional pay TV model continues to unravel. I checked my numbers and I think we're on pace to lose another 5 million subscribers from cable, satellite and telco TV this year. That's what it looks like to me, at least. Penetration of 
cable satellite and telco TV is now at about 61%. And even if you add in virtual MVPDs, it's about two thirds of home now that have access to the big bundle. And remember I was saying the penetration of SVOD is 80%. So SVOD penetration now is way higher. And I gotta tell you, YouTube use is way higher than that. Uh, so, you know, the, the model continues to unravel. Unravel. We are seeing uh, continued disputes between content providers and traditional pay TV providers like uh, YouTube TV and Dish. Uh, for example, YouTube TV, of course, we just narrowly avoided, avoided losing all of Disney Channel. So at least they did actually go away for a day, I think, and came back the next day. And there was an earlier dispute between YouTube TV and NBCU that also uh, um, was uh, problematic. Uh, Dish, Dish fought with Sinclair this year. I think we're going to continue to see that. And of course, we have just seen an increase in the price of Hulu Live this month of $5. So I have got a feeling that those those increases in prices for virtual MVPDs are going to continue this year. Uh, so as I say, we're continuing to see that model unravel and I expect to see a lot more in 2022. Yeah, well, I think the carriage disputes are surely a sign that it's a shrinking pie and everybody's trying to get their share of that shrinking pie. And it's hard to get these deals done, obviously, when there's less money flowing into the ecosystem and it's harder than ever to pass through rate increases. So, yeah, it's um, it's really been, I think, fascinating to watch just in like the last five years or so what's happened on the cord cutting and cord nevering front. And again, speaking of generational change, this is very much a generational change as well. I think so. I think absolutely will. Okay, so let's move on. Number six. Yeah, number six is kind of under the heading, I'm going to call it, of the role of viewer data. And there are a number of different angles on this. There's really an angle from the ad-supported side, from the subscription side, from the content development side. And also, there's you know clearly a regulatory piece here as well. But um, you know, just to kind of tick through these quickly, you know, the big thing here, and I'll talk more about this in the next couple of items, but is that TV TV advertising has never had the potential to be more targeted than it is today, and that's really based off of the viewership, the viewer data that's being collected, and. Um, in you know lots of different ways being harmonized with other data on viewers on their usage activity off of TV. So um, so there's clearly a bigger role that data is playing in terms of ad targeting, uh, but there's also a lot of flux around how data can be used, what the privacy uh, regulations are. We've got the deprecation of cookies. On the one hand, mobile. On the other hand, um, with what Apple is doing, what Google is doing. So, in terms of doing multi-platform, it's getting more complicated than ever. And, and even within TV, the whole measurement paradigm is very much in flux as well. The role of Nielsen as being a unified currency, 
is uh, very much up for grabs right now. There are the emergence of various walled gardens. So there's a lot of stuff happening related to viewer data for targeted ads. Um, I think there's also a lot happening here with respect to viewer data being used to inform content decision making. And that's no surprise. We know from what Netflix has been doing over the years and Amazon and others. Um, I, I think that that is also starting to ramp up. And I, uh, beyond just Netflix and, and Amazon, and I took note of the deal over the summer with Reese Witherspoon's company, Hello Sunshine, being sold for $900 million. And it was really, I think at first blush, a studio deal, but I think at closer inspection, was really all about user data. She has the two and a half million plus members of her book club and no doubt has a treasure trove of data on what the members are reading, what they're interested in, and how that can inform what projects Hello Sunshine decides to pursue from a um, content development standpoint. So. Uh, here again, we see viewer data being used to inform content decision making. And I think we're going to see more of that going forward. And, you know, there will be some who lament that the idea that um, content decision making may be more kind of in response to what viewers are watching, have watched, as opposed to trying to break, purely break new creative ground. But I think that the reality is that the stakes are now so high, the, the, the dollars are so huge to create original programming that anything that viewer data, usage data can do to mitigate risk and try to inform decision making, I think is going to be done. So we have these two prongs, what's happening from an ad supported side, advertising, targeted advertising. And then we also have it from more of a content development standpoint as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I, I think actually another example of this, Will, is that uh, Amazon has kind of capitulated, I think, a bit to the d demands of channel partners, channels partners that are asking for more data. And they're actually running a trial in Europe with Discovery, uh, where they're providing a lot more user data. I think that's a big criticism that's been leveled at channels and po possibly a big factor in the big disputes it's had between folks like Peacock and HBO Max over over the uh, the last year or so. Um, and uh, they're beginning to give a little bit of ground and uh, trial and giving more data. So anyway, I think that's, a, that's something that's going to play an increasing, increasingly important role in the industry as we go forward. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. I, capitulate is maybe a too strong a word for now, Colin, <laughs> with Amazon. <but laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe cracking open the door would be a good way to describe it. But why don't you go on to number five? I will. And number five is the growth of fast. We called this out last year in our top 10 um, as, as an emerging category. Well, my goodness, have they emerged. Pluto TV is scheduled or stated to earn about a billion dollars in advertising revenue globally uh, this this year. Um, I estimated the market to be about $2 billion this year, probably will double by 2024. Um, pretty much everybody is launching fast channels these days. Uh, it's, it's a really great opportunity for content providers to monetize 
their content catalogs in new ways. And we're seeing a lot of TV providers taking advantage of that opportunity. I think we've got a lot more to come. We're also trying, we're also starting to see uh, content providers, uh, um, content uh, providers like uh, SVOD services launching channels. Curiosity Stream has launched a channel. Uh, and in fact, we saw a first this year. Pluto TV launched the Bull Riders Network Ride Pass channel, and this was a this was a an SVOD service that actually shuttered their SVOD service and moved to an advertising only model uh, with Pluto TV. So that's a first as well. And people are really watching. I was checking some data from T Vision just last week, and it. They were saying that uh, Tubi and Pluto are both garnering about 2 to 3% now of total viewing time for streaming services. So they're really beginning to make a big impression, I think, and something that is going to be running and running this coming year. I'm expecting to see a lot more services particularly SVOD services, take advantage of their dead catalogs, the, the stuff that really isn't being watched on the service anymore, but is still available in the library. Take advantage of that to launch channels on fast services uh, and uh, that use that as sort of promotional. And also, I will call out specifically the the fast services on smart TVs which are increasingly featured in the interface and which I think are going to make uh, going to really help boost fast usage in the coming year too so big year for fast and I think a bigger one upcoming yeah I very much agree with you and of course we talked all about fast last week on the podcast and there are lots of good reasons to be bullish as you just articulated and uh, they're, I think, very much a part, interrelated part of the changes that are happening away from pay TV uh, toward streaming, users augmenting their paid SVOD services with free ad-supported ones, uh, kind of putting together their own personal bundles. So lots of exciting stuff there to watch on the fast front. There is, yeah. You, you can't beat free right real we're going <laughs> to continue tough. we're going to continue to see that grow anyway well, let's move on to number 4 which is actually kind of related to number th- uh, number 5 yeah i mean to some extent i think these are all related we're trying to create some distinctions here among them uh, which you know which is fair but you know to me connected tv advertising growth in 2021 you know continuing to grow strongly the forecasts are all very bullish, just had an update from uh, Brian Weiser at Group M, looking at 33 billion in CTV advertising by 2026. E-Marketer is up to 29 billion by 2025. And there's really a perfect storm of uh, what's happening with CTV now. We have the decline in linear TV and pay TV. We had the advent of COVID, of course, the launches of the fast channels, as you just described, the generational changes. Importantly, the um, desire by marketers to get a strong return on their ad spending and how CTV blends the best of TV, the sight, sound and motion with the best of digital, the targeting, the optimization, the personalization, et cetera. Uh, built on a digital platform, it's really an unprecedented opportunity 
for advertisers. And I think today the way the market can be best characterized is what I've said in the past, the quote, follow the eyeball strategy. In other words, people shifting their viewership from linear TV to CTV and advertisers needing to maintain their reach and frequency KPIs. And so there's little choice but to follow them into CTV. And that's been to the benefit of everybody. What will happen over time, I think, is this idea of CTV becoming more of a full funnel medium. And that relates back to what I was saying before in terms of the generational change, the short form video, the commerce driven ads, the action oriented ads. I think we're going to see more of that in CTV as we go forward because it has such a unique ability to generate and track actions uh, and, tra and track attribution. So um, anyway, connected TV advertising, huge. Uh, and I'll just put in a quick plug that Video News is going to be doing its CTV advertising preview 2022 virtual event on January 26th and 27th. We're going to be getting a lot of perspectives from senior industry executives on what's coming in the new year. And of course, that will be free to attend. It will. And uh, I, I, I just want to mention, you mentioned T-commerce and, and interactive ads. I think uh, regular listeners will know, I think we mentioned the fact that I spotted some interactive ads in IMDb yes. TV on Fire TV from Amazon. Who better to launch uh, interactive ads with uh, T-commerce World because they can complete right there with one click and that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, or voice command. Uh, and that leads to number three, actually, which is it's, yours. It, it certainly does. And that's Amazon, just Amazon's continue emerge, continuing emergence as a CTV powerhouse. So, uh, you know, even, I even feel like it's almost mundane to talk about streaming sticks and boxes, Will, but they're an important part of the equation in CTV. And Amazon has reached parity with penetration of Fire TV and Roku in the US now with streaming sticks and boxes. Of course, Roku is still ahead in smart TVs. They've, uh, they've got a lot of the smart TVs. Uh, I think they're still about a third of sales these days. Um, so that puts them ahead there. But Amazon is solidly ahead in Europe with Fire TV. It's the most popular device in many markets there, including Germany and the UK. And I mentioned IMDb TV. This is becoming a really important part of Amazon's strategy. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, data is becoming so important. And if there is one company that has a massive data pool of commerce data, it's Amazon. And it is really, I think, beginning to recognize just how important IMDb TV is in that uh, and it, it is creating originals now, pretty high profile originals. It's done Leverage Redemption and uh, it's just released series two of Alex Ryder. It will continue with Judge Judy is back in January with Judy Justice. And they'll probably have a slate of originals coming out in IMDb TV going forward. Amazon continues to cherry pick I think key properties, key sports properties in different markets. They've got some Premier League rights in the UK. They have just signed a deal which gets them Thursday night football exclusive streaming rights to Thursday night football starting in 2023. Uh, and you'll continue to see them invest there. 
Uh, and I just think that they are emerging as one of the biggest forces in CTV today, Will, and uh, we're going to see more progress down that path in 2022. No question. That's a great articulation of all of Amazon's considerable assets in this space, Colin. No question about it. There seems like they're touching every single base that can be touched, whether it's content devices, advertising, uh, they're doing it all. And obviously, as you said, with that layer of user data that they have powering every aspect of it, um, it's, it, they're going to be, they're going to be a big one to watch. They are. And I didn't even mention the purchase of MGM. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's probably enough about Amazon. Let's move to yeah, number move. two. Yeah, so video news readers know that I've been closely tracking YouTube's explosive growth on the ad front, uh, which they've been breaking out now for about two years. And um, I, I just continue to be incredibly impressed. So that's my top story for 2021. We'll get to yours in a moment. But um, Q3 ad revenues, $7.2 billion, up 43%. In seven of the last eight quarters, their quarterly growth has been 30% or more. They're very much tapping into what I was talking about before, the kind of direct response, action-oriented campaigns. They've made that point repeatedly on their earnings calls. CTV has been their biggest source of growth, and they're recognizing, you know, starting to recognize the benefits of the full funnel approach. And I think very importantly also, there's this link that YouTube has, more than a link, they're really, I argue, the primary driver of the, quote, creator economy. Uh, they said earlier this year that they've paid out $30 billion to creators in the past three years. No doubt that has increased even more as the year has gone along. They are really the key platform for democratizing creativity in the video and TV realms these days. And, you know, there's no better example than this video that uh, this creator, Mr. Beast, announced or launched uh, just before Thanksgiving, the Squid Game recreation that's now up to a remarkable 180 million views. It's a 25 minute video and uh, it's been the fastest growing of all time outside of the music space. And so that I think is just illustrates how powerful this whole creator economy is and how YouTube is driving it. I think Q4 set, set, it's been set up beautifully for the company and I certainly would not be surprised to see another 30 or 40 percent growth quarter for them. So they're they're the company, I think, that is, um, you know, aside from maybe Amazon, the one really that people need to keep the closest eye on because they have so many different options in this space. And they've, I think, really already proven their ability to succeed. I think they have. And there are even rumors out there that they're putting together a fast service themselves. I, I mentioned T-Vision earlier in that same report from T-Vision. I noted that they gave share of time by service at the television and YouTube. We've mentioned, we've talked about how big YouTube has become on CTV. TVision says it is second only in time, uh, ranked by time spent to Netflix, about 17, yep. 16, 17% of time spent 
Watching on T on connected TV now is accruing to YouTube, which is a pretty amazing statistic, Will, right? Incredible. Yeah, it's just incredible. Anyway, let's go on to the top story, your top story for 2021. Go for it. Number one. Yes, my my top story, Will, is the fact that the movie release window is now forever changed. I think um, we have seen... Uh, this is probably one of the things that if you'd asked me three years ago, even two years ago, if this would ever happen, I would have told you no. I wrote several pieces where there was where we were just there were discussions in the industry of this premium VOD window before COVID, and every single time a move was made, it just crashed and burned. Even AMC at one point offered to be the sale point for PVOD for the industry. Um, of course, AMC, the biggest uh, theater chain. Uh, and even that crashed and burned because I thought that stood a chance because it gave a de- decent share of revenue to theater owners. Uh, but it didn't work. All of that was changed by COVID and the closure of the theaters. Of course, the, one of the obvious things that happened was HBO Max went day and date with their biggest movies throughout 2021, starting with Wonder Woman 1984 in December of uh, not, of 2020. Uh, of course, they've had really big titles like uh, King Kong versus Godzilla and a whole bunch more. But even as we see 2021 out and HBO Max has moved away from day and date, it is staying with a 45-day window for release in HBO Max after theater release. So the theaters will only have an exclusive period of about 45 days. And I noticed that other providers like uh, Universal, with uh, Universal is going to have its uh, movies available for 45 days in theaters exclusively, and then will show up in Peacock. And the same for Disney. Well, Disney, Disney. Um, hesitated just a little bit they said a minimum of 40 to 45 days in theaters but I think it's pretty sure that we're going to see those showing up much more quickly now in SVOD services so this is to me pretty amazing to go from an industry two years ago that was was a no way no how PVOD group to really embracing this whole notion of really collapsing the release windows and releasing them into into their uh, direct-to-consumer services. And, you know, the big casualty here, Will, is their, is their transactional business, which I was shrink, shrinking before and now is really shrinking. Uh, so the idea of buying a DVD or buying a digital copy at some point later uh, is really going by the wayside because it is appearing way earlier in the SVOD services. So uh, this to me is pretty amazing. It took a world pandemic to move to <laughs> right. move them, but they have moved. Right. Yeah. I think the key statement right there, that's the magnitude of event that had to happen in yeah. order to move the industry <laughs> forward on this. Nothing else but a global pandemic would get them to move. But they did bend to reality. Uh, I think that's really the main point here is that they bent to reality. Uh, but at the same time, it's a little bit of a brave new world. I mean, you and I followed the release of Black Widow very closely earlier this summer. And um not clear whether that's going to be 
a marker of future performance or whether that was kind of a one-off. So it's really not clear what the economics are going to look like going forward. And there have actually been some big releases just prior to Omicron uh, in theaters where you could maybe make an argument that the theatrical window has bounced back just a little bit, but it's still far from going back to the way it was. I think your point is right on. And when you have Disney out there getting up to 200 million, you know, approaching 200 million uh, subscribers globally, it shows what their priority is going to be going forward. It's, I think it's that simple. It certainly does. And so anyway, that's it, Will. That's our top 10. Uh, yeah. I, I hope, uh, actually, I hope our listeners, when you listen to this, please come to Will on my website and put a comment and let us know what you think uh, was your top stories of the year. If we missed any, if you think we got the number one, number one or number two wrong, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. And Colin, I think that wraps up 2021 for us and for the Inside the Stream podcast series. So happy holidays to you. It's been great fun as always. Yep. Happy holidays to you. And I want to wish our listeners happy holidays. Thanks for spending time with us this year and uh, looking forward to speaking with you at conferences live at least sometime (laughs) next year. Let's hope. Here's hoping to it anyway. Well, happy holidays to our listeners again, Colin, and uh, we'll see everybody in 2022. Inside the Stream is a production of Endscreen Media and Video News, all rights reserved.